Timothy had learned from Paul what I believe that he desired the church of Philippi to learn, and that is of obedience, of working out his own salvation, as shining as a light in the world, holding fast to the word of life, and being willing to pour out his life for others. Welcome to the Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast, and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Well, we're back in the book of Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 30 today. And, and we're really going to learn about uh, two individuals that Paul highly favored as far as ministers in Christ, and he'll speak about them. But the initial first few verses from verses 12 through 18, God has called us to this place of humility in serving others to esteem others, as it says here in chapter 2, to esteem others higher than ourselves. Now, that is a, a hard thing to do in the world that we live in, because the world that we live in talks about having self-esteem, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. The problem is, is when we esteem ourselves better than all others and, and that we hold ourselves in a higher view than others around us, then we are living self-centered lives instead of lives that are serving others. Verses 14 and 15, it says, do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Paul says, you guys, he's saying that they were shining as lights in the world. But I wonder how well we shine when we complain. How well do we shine when we dispute with one another? We are to do all things without complaining and disputing. We are to uh, become blameless and harmless children of God. And I've been raised in church my whole life, and I've seen a lot of complaining, a lot of disputing in church life that it doesn't bode well for the work or the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we say that God loves you, but we can't stand one another, that's a horrible testimony. And we're not to be like that. The rest of the world, they're that way. They often complain. They often dispute. We're not to be that way as believers in Jesus Christ. We're to become blameless and harmless children of God. We're to be without fault because the world that we live in is crooked and perverse. But we have been forgiven of our sins through Jesus Christ. So therefore, we're not to be like the world. 
And how healthy it is when the church comes together in love to hold up one another in obedience to the word of God, when each one, as we are personally working out our own salvation, knowing that God is working in each of us for his will and for his good pleasure, we're to be lights in this world, we're to be different. And Jesus, you remember in Matthew 5, 14, he says, you are the light of the world. And in verse 16, let the light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. People are supposed to look at our lives and see that Jesus has made a difference and they will bring glory to God as a result of it. Maybe they will not like you initially. Maybe you will be hated because your faith in Jesus Christ, but still we're to be that light and we hold true to the light of Jesus Christ that God works in us knowing that he can work through us as a light. I've always seen myself, he says, you are the light of the world, but I see this as a mere reflection of his light in my life. That if we are walking in faith as believers in Jesus Christ, then we should rightly be reflecting Christ in our lives. And, and I believe this is necessary so often because what do you hear from people a lot of times? Well, I don't like to go to church. You know, they, it's all about Jesus and stuff. And so why don't we bring the church to them? Of course, church is about Jesus. And it'll always be that here at Calvary Chapel. We're going to make sure that it's about that. But perhaps there are people who are afraid to come into a church. Maybe they have some bad memories from the past. Maybe they've had some bad examples, but we're to be a light. And we can take Jesus Christ to them. We can live Christ before them. And we become that, I believe, a dim reflection of the glory of Christ until they come to know Christ until they accept Christ in their own lives. And so we are to, to walk in obedience, to work out our own salvation as God is working in. We're to do all things without murmuring or disputing, and we're to shine as lights in this world while we hold fast, verse 16, while we hold fast to the word of life so that Paul says, I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, then I'm glad and rejoice with you all. And for the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. So first of all, we are to hold fast. It means to keep our attention of focus upon the word of life. When I think about the word of life in Scripture, I think about two things. I think about the Bible itself. That we know in Hebrews 4.12 that the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. It is a discerner of thoughts and the intents of the heart. The word of God is powerful, and that's why I like to use the word of God when proclaiming his word. And so we should use his word. But we have many in the church today that believe that it might be better to proclaim men's word over the word of God. All I know is that the word of God has got a guarantee attached to it that God said that it will accomplish those things which I have intended for it. So when I think about the word of life, I think about the Bible, but I also think about Jesus Christ himself. As John wrote in 1 John 1, 1, that which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, our hands have handled concerning the word of life. 
Jesus Christ. He is the word of life. In John 1.14, he's the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. So we hold fast to the word. We hold fast to the, the Bible, and we make it an important part of our lives each and every day of our lives, meaning that we read it and we study it. We learn from it. We take our way through it. My mom did not read through the Bible until she was in her 60s. I believe her late 60s. She was a pastor's wife. And it was the first time that she had went from Genesis to Revelation through the Bible. And I remember her saying to me, well, I've read through the Bible. What should I do now? I said, read it again. And she did that. And that was her practice for the remainder of her life. Every year she would take herself through the Bible, through the word of God. And that's a treasure. But also we treasure the word of life, Jesus Christ himself. We hold fast to these two things. And then we are to pour out. Paul says, if I'm being poured out, meaning he didn't know for sure if he was going to be released from prison or die as a result of this. But if he was going to be poured out, he he went on to say, I am glad and I rejoice. I rejoice with you all. He said, rejoice with me. This is a sacrifice and service of your faith. And Paul was willing to put his life on the line for the church that he had helped found there. And that is just a tremendous uh, step of faith to hold fast. How do we do when we walk in faith? Are we holding fast to the word of life? Are we willing to be poured out? Are we willing to give our all for the work of the gospel? I've been in church my whole life, and I've seen a lot of people give up on the work. They weren't willing to hold fast. They weren't willing to be poured out. And often they tend to live lives that are not serving the Lord any longer. I've seen it happen over and over again. Paul is wanting to prevent that for this fellowship. He's desiring for this fellowship that they would know obedience as they worked out their own salvation with fear and trembling, that they would realize that Christ is also working in for his will and for his good pleasure that they were to let their light shine for Christ, setting aside all murmuring and disputing, that they would become blameless and harmless children of God, that they would hold fast to the word of life, that of the Bible by getting into God's word, by going to church, by hearing it proclaimed, by reading it, by listening to it via radio or TV or on the internet. Now we have so many possibilities, but also hold fast to the word of life, Jesus Christ knowing that through him we find true life, and then that we're willing to be poured out, to pour out our lives with gladness and rejoicing. And quite often, we pour out our lives sometimes with not gladness and rejoicing. We want people to know the things that we are suffering for Christ. But Paul, he was. He was in prison for four years, and yet he said, I am glad and I rejoice. And would you be glad and rejoice with me? And so often we find that things aren't quite going our way and we begin to bemoan and cry and complain. And it is not to be with the church. And I believe that he gives us two great examples, one through Timothy and one through Epaphroditus. And 1 Timothy in verse 19, it says, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, 
not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he serves with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall come shortly. And so Timothy, and we had a little introduction of Timothy back in uh, the beginning of our study here in Philippians, but he was with Paul when they came to Philippi. And so he had joined the missionary team in Lestra, and he had been there with Paul and Silas and Luke when they first came to Philippi. And so he's part of that work. His mom and his grandmother were Jewish, and, and so therefore Timothy was half Jewish. He had a Greek father, but they had helped pass on their faith to him, as Paul would write concerning their faith, their genuine faith, when he wrote a letter to Timothy in 1 Timothy. But he was also possibly came to faith under Paul's preaching because as we read in this passage, he referred to him as a son, but he also said in 1 Corinthians 4.17, he called Timothy a beloved and faithful son in the Lord in 1 Timothy 1.2, a true son of faith. And Timothy had been significant. Paul had left him with Silas in Macedonia and the church of Philippi was in that region to care for their estate. Paul was a Roman citizen, and although he was in chains, although he was in prison, he had freedoms. Uh, We know from the book of Acts that he was able to rent his own house, that he had certain freedoms that was afforded to him, and he was allowed people to come and to be with him. And at this time, we know of at least Timothy and Epaphroditus being with him there while he was in prison. But Timothy was there to serve alongside Paul. And he said some great things about him here. He said in verse 20, I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. Timothy had learned from Paul what I believe he desired the church of Philippi to learn. And that is of obedience, of working out his own salvation, as shining as a light in the world, holding fast to the word of life and being willing to pour out his life for others. Because he said in verse 21, all others seek their own, not the things of which are of Christ Jesus, but you know his proven character that as a son with his father, he served me in the gospel. You know his proven character. He said all others, not too sure about them, but Timothy, you guys know. He has proven himself as a son serving alongside in the gospel. He had a proven character with not only with Paul, but with the church of Philippi. All others, they were seeking their own. I think one of the hardest heartaches of the ministry is to see believers fall away from their faith. And it's a danger that I have seen happen often with people, but also there is that danger of diminishing of faith. Instead of an increasing in their faith, they diminish in their faith. And and the fire that they had once had, it's why we pray for revival, that God would revive us again. And to be honest with you, I pray it often for myself that God would just rekindle a fire in my life. Not that I believe my fire is out, but I know that the Lord can offer so much more. I think it's a great prayer for our whole church and fellowship. On the other hand, to find someone like Timothy, one who has a proven character, one who is willing to serve alongside for the sake of the gospel, this is priceless. 
Paul found that in Timothy. And I personally have found that with Kevin. I know he has my back. I know he has a great concern for this fellowship and that he is a great support to me and a son, a son-in-law. But, you know, as I've read through that, and I wondered if I should even say anything, but, you know, every time I read this this week, I just keep thinking of Kevin. I know he, he has a great concern for this fellowship, a love for this fellowship. He has proven himself here. But also I know that I can rely upon him. I can trust him with the work of the ministry that has been uh, put before him. That is priceless to have people to come alongside like that. And we can all be that in varying degrees in the work of the ministry here. And so he exposes his desire. He wants to send Timothy. He wants to see in verse 23 how it goes with him first. He trusts that one day he would get to come to them himself. So he wasn't quite sure how things were going to work out, but it seems he wanted to hear what would happen to him first from Caesar, the decision that would come down, and then afterwards send Timothy to the church to let him know what was going on, and then following uh, that Paul himself could come and minister at the church of Philippi. And then Epaphroditus, uh, in verse 25 through 30, as we close out, he says, yes, I consider it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my needs, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, I was almost, or he was almost sick unto death, but God had mercy on him, not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I sent him the more eagerly that when you see him, again, you may rejoice that I may be less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem because of the work of Christ. He came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. And so it appears that and we'll meet him again in chapter four. And this is the only place that we read about Epaphroditus in Scripture. But it appears that he was from the church of Philippi and that when Philippi heard that Paul was in prison in Rome, that they sent him. And in chapter 4, he'll, he'll refer to the gift that was sent by his hand. And so they sent Epaphroditus to stand in their place, but also to bring a gift, an offering that would help Paul while he was in prison. But while he was there, he got sick, and word got back to the church in Philippi that Epaphroditus almost died, and so they were greatly concerned about him. From reading through the letter, it would seem that Epaphroditus delivered this letter to the church of Philippi. He said, well, Timothy, I'm going to wait. I want to send him to you, but I'm going to wait until I find out what happens with me. But with Epaphroditus, he said, I'm going to send him to you right now. One, because you heard he was sick and it distressed him knowing that you had this great concern for him. But number two, I want you guys to see him, to know that he's well, that you guys can rejoice together in this homecoming of sending back this soldier. And what he called him in the opening verses, that he was a brother, that he was a fellow worker, that he was a fellow soldier. He was the messenger from Philippi. But he also was a minister, a minister to Paul and to the needs of Paul. 
you know, Paul was perhaps one of the great, if not greatest, apostles that we had in the New Testament time. And we say that because he has written 13 of the epistles in the New Testament. So much came from his ministry. But Paul, a great minister of the Word of God, also needed those to come alongside and minister to him, to serve him, to lift up his hands, to support him. Timothy was one of these fellows that came alongside in the work. Epaphroditus was another that came alongside to support him. It is needful for the work of ministry to know, as your pastor, to know that, as I talked about Kevin, but with you guys also, to know that we're in this together, that we're going to work in this mission field that the Lord has given us together, that we have each other's back, that we're a support to one another. This man was to be held in esteem because he came close to death, because he didn't regard his own life to supply what was lacking in their service. And I've had no near-death experience in serving the Lord. But there are men that I hold in similar esteem for the work that they have done for the Lord. They had proven character. And I think we should hold such in esteem and support them. Hold them in esteem in the sense that we can hold them up in prayer and pray for them, that God would continue the work that he has begun in them. This Epaphroditus was willing to lay down his life, and Jesus said in John fifteen thirteen, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. In 1 John three sixteen, John wrote, by this we know love because he laid down his life for us, we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. It should be our attitude of living this sacrificial life. In closing, I pray that we would learn to be like Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus, that we would be those who would learn obedience of faith, that as we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, we'd also at the same time realize that God is working in us working in and working through us, that we would be the lights that God has called us to be, lights that shine in this world, <laughs> that we wouldn't be a church that's known for, how did it word it here? Grumbling, murmuring, disputing. I wouldn't want to go to church like that. But that we would be a church that is blameless and harmless, children of God, that shine as lights in this world, that we would hold fast to the word of life, that we'd be willing to be poured out for the needs of others, becoming living sacrifices that are holy and acceptable to God. You know, it's the call, and I don't believe I read this verse, but it comes from uh, Romans 12. It's what Paul called us to be. In Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, and I'll close with these verses. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable, perfect will of God. So many times people have asked, how do I know the will of God? Well, Paul has given us, the formula for knowing the will of God, and that we would 
present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, that we would not be conformed to this world, but that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds. That way we can prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God in our lives as individuals and maybe corporately as a fellowship here at Calvary Chapel. Father, I thank you so much for your word and pray that you would help us to learn the obedience. Lord, that we would be faithful to work out, not working for salvation, but working out as a result of the salvation that you have already uh, given to us. That we would shine as lights in this world, that we would hold fast to the word of life, and that we would be willing to pour ourselves out. Quite often, Lord, we can get tired and we lag in the race. And if that's where we're at today, Lord, I pray that you would come alongside and strengthen us and refresh us for the work is still ahead. The course is still before us. May we do so with gladness and rejoicing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. Thank you.